calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. It's been a while, hasn't it? Welcome to this very special bonus episode of Shadows at the Door, the podcast. I'm your host, Mark Nixon, and as Dave and Alt and I will discuss in the second half of this episode, there are updates regarding the future of this podcast we need to share. Needless to say, the response you've given our first season is nothing short of astronomical. As such, please accept this short production of a classic M.R. James story as thanks for your continued support. Do join us after the production for the aforementioned updates, as well as a discussion on folklore, churchyards, and benedictions. But for now, we proudly present our production of There Was a Man Dwelt by a Churchyard. There was a man dwelt by a churchyard. His house had a lower story of stone and an upper one of timber. The front windows looked out on the street and the back ones on the churchyard. It had once belonged to the parish priest, but this was in Queen Elizabeth's days. The priest was a married man and wanted more room. Besides, his wife disliked seeing the churchyard at night out of her bedroom window. She said she saw... But never mind what she said. Anyhow, she gave her husband no peace till he agreed to move into a larger house in the village street, and the old one was taken by John Poole, who was a widower and lived there alone. He was an elderly man who kept very much to himself, and people said he was something of a miser. It was very likely true. He was morbid in other ways, certainly. In those days, it was common to bury people at night and by torchlight, and it was noticed that whenever a funeral was toward, John Poole was always at his window, either on the ground floor or upstairs, according as he could get the better view from one or the other. 
There came a night when an old woman was to be buried. She was fairly well-to-do, but she was not liked in the place. The usual thing was said of her that she was no Christian, and that on such nights as Midsummer Eve and All Hallows, she was not to be found in her house. She was red-eyed and dreadful to look at, and no beggar ever knocked at her door. Yet when she died, she left a purse of money to the church. There was no storm on the night of her burial, it was fair and calm, but there was some difficulty about getting bearers and men to carry the torches, in spite of the fact that she had left larger fees than common for such as did that work. She was buried in woolen, without a coffin. No one was there but those who were actually needed, and John Poole watching from his window. Just before the grave was filled in, the parson stooped down and cast something upon the body, something that clinked, and in a low voice he said words that sounded like, Thy money perish with thee. Then he walked quickly away, and so did the other men, leaving only one torchbearer to light the sexton and his boy while they shoveled the earth in. They made no very neat job of it, and next day, which was a Sunday, the churchgoers were rather sharp with the sexton, saying it was the untidiest grave in the yard. And indeed, when he came to look at it himself, he thought it was worse than he had left it. Meanwhile, John Poole went about with a curious air, half exulting, as it were, and half nervous. More than once he spent an evening at the inn, which was clean contrary to his usual habit, and to those who fell into talk with him there, he hinted that he had come into a little bit of money and was looking out for a somewhat better house. Well, I don't wonder, said the smith one night. I shouldn't care for that place of yours. I should be fancying things all night. The landlord asked him what sort of things. Well, maybe somebody climbing up to the chamber window or like of that, said the smith. I don't know. Old Mother Wilkins that was buried a week ago today, eh? Come, I think you might consider a person's feelings, said the landlord. It ain't so pleasant for Master Poole, is it now? Master Poole don't mind, said the smith. He's been there long enough to know. I only says it wouldn't be my choice. What with the passing bell and the torches when there's a burial, and all them graves lying so quiet when there's nobody about. Only they say there's lights. Don't you never see no lights, Master Poole? No. I don't never see no lights, said Master Poole sulkily, and called for another drink, and went home late. That night, as he lay in his bed upstairs, a moaning wind began to play about the house, and he could not go to sleep. He got up and crossed the room to a little cupboard in the wall. He took out of it something that clinked, and put it in the breast of his bedgown. Then he went to the window and looked out into the churchyard. Have you ever seen an old brass in a church with the figure of a person in the shroud? It is bunched together at the top of the head in a curious way. Something like that was sticking up out of the earth in a spot of the churchyard which John Poole knew very well. He darted into his bed and lay there very still indeed. Presently, something made a very faint rattling at the casement. With a dreadful reluctance, John Poole turned his eyes that way. Alas, 
Between him and the moonlight was the black outline of the curious bunched head. Then there was a figure in the room. Dry earth rattled on the floor. A low, cracked voice said, Where is it? And steps went hither and thither, faltering steps as of one walking with difficulty. It could be seen now and again peering into corners, stooping to look under chairs. Finally, it could be heard fumbling at the doors of the cupboard in the wall, throwing them open. There was a scratching of long nails on the empty shelves. The figure whipped round, stood for an instant at the side of the bed, raised its arms, and with a hoarse scream of, You've got it! And that was, There Was a Man Dwelt by a Churchyard, by M.R. James, read by David Alt, who joins me right now. Hello, David. Hello, Mark. Uh, what's what's going on? This isn't season one. This isn't season two. What what on earth is going on? It's um, yeah, it's it's somewhat in between. This is a little a little bonus thank you episode. A mid season bonus episode. Yeah, it's that little thank you to everyone who's been uh, supportive of the show in many ways, whether they've left reviews or recommended our podcast to a friend, or listened to the podcast twice to improve the uh, the statistics. <laughs> or indeed, if they have been in a position enough, they have put the hand in the pocket and given us a, a cup of El Grey, or a few cups in some cases. Uh, our, cup of, our cup overfloweth. Indeed it does. <laughs> yes, it is, it is a huge thank you to everyone who has, uh, has supported the podcast as as mark says so this is our little it's a, a short extra bonus for you to keep you tied over until the beginning of the second series of shadows at the door the podcast but more on that story later <laughs> we now go to the world which is currently on fire <laughs> this is fine <laughs> so it's it's an interesting little story is that the the man dwelt by a churchyard I like your choice of uh, the word interesting. It's it's one of those very British words which says, what the hell was that? It's a really short story, and it's rather tongue-in-cheek. And if that weren't obvious enough, I, I believe your performance, David, was <laughs> somewhat tongue-in-cheek as well. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you saying? Fun fact, guys, I was actually uh, considering doing the voice of the ghost in this episode due to... Um, I'm not going to say demand, but due to a few <laughs> suggestions from our listeners, somewhat luckily, my, my recording setup, which is... So David, being a professional voice actor, has a, a booth, shall we say, for recording his things, whilst I'm just some guy who's who's new to it. So I just, I have a little Jenga pile of pillows, <laughs> and I put the mic in there. And But I was getting a lot of white noise on a few different occasions, so I don't know if I need a new mic or something, but also... David's done a good little, uh, he's, David's done a good performance of the ghost and it's described as having like this, this high pitched, like hissy voice. And I was like, we want the precious, <laughs> filthy <laughs> hobbits as takes the room. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Didn't think that was appropriate. Or perhaps I could have been sued. Well, if they want a cup of old grey, then they can have one. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's all we have. Please, this is it. <laughs> and we'll, we'll give you a book. But it is, uh, it's a very short story. And 
But it's quite effective, I think. Yes. Even though it is a bit tongue-in-cheek, it does have that delightful image of the ending and that gotcha ending. Probably the closest thing you're going to get to a jump scare from <laughs> this era of, of ghost stories mm, as well. Mm. And interestingly, when when I recorded it, uh, when when Mark sent it through, he said, "Leave off the first paragraph because it's probably not important." Yeah. And the uh, that also meant I left off the last paragraph it as well. It does indeed. So I did ask David to skip the first and last paragraph. You know, and a lot like a lot of Monty's stories, there is a lot of you know academic preamble. And frankly, just for the sake of a juicy story, we just thought we would make that well i thought i made that decision to trim it at both ends and the reason why there is this preamble at the beginning and, and a little bit of explanation at the end is the title actually comes from um a, a man you may have heard of called william shakespeare uh no who's, who's him? <laughs> some guy some poet so it comes from the winter's tale and it comes from a character that begins to tell a story that they promise us is full of sprites and goblins and they start by saying there was a man dwelt by a churchyard, but that character is interrupted before they can tell any more. And in the first... Ah, but he, he does say, I will tell it softly. Yond crickets shall not hear it. Come on then, and give to me in mine ear. And then, yep, off they I go. I will side with MR James. That is frustrating to get all of these promises of this brilliant story and then not to get it. Indeed, yes. So it's quite it's quite right that he should take up the baton and resolve that particular story. Well done, Monty. Yeah, but in my experience, it is frustrating to hear that preamble unless... I mean, you can go to uh, readings of M.R. James stories done by a few different performers where they will read the story as the character of M.R. James, the most prominent performer of which is a gentleman, Robert Lloyd Parry, I may have mentioned before, uh, and he is fantastic, and he reads these stories entirely from memory. But David is not playing M.R. James. We're quite aware of who David is, and it just seemed a little bit, for lack of a better word, wanky to have that. <laughs> <laughs> is that a technical term, Mark? It is, it is. Um, but yeah, it felt like that to to have that. And then at the end, I'm going from memory here, um, I, I believe M.R. James then pats himself on the back going, yes, and that's how I believe the story should go. But mm -hmm. we, we decided... Let's just do our usual Shadows at the Door style. Let's get Nico doing some terrific music. I'll, I'll put in some sound effects and we'll just do it that way. I, you know, I, I don't want to have like a John Hurt as the storyteller, like fire crackling. Um, Gather ye round, children, and I'll tell you a story. Because although that is an effective <laughs> medium to do it, that's not what we're doing here, is it, David? So. No. If only I could be as good and as famous and as wonderful as John Hurt. Give it time. <laughs> you're, you're not far behind. It'll be there. Shadows at the Door, the podcast, season 49. Starring Sir David Alt. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a little confession about this story, though, David, as well. Oh, there, there is no better place than a churchyard for confession. Well, that's it. Um, because, indeed, I am actually sat by a churchyard right now. Um, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, I live next to a graveyard, churchyard, whatever you want to call it. It's nowhere near as sexy and spooky as I make it seem. But um, when I was asked to complete my first writer's bio for publication, I just wrote, uh, Mark Nixon is a writer who dwells by a uh, churchyard. And I thought, <laughs> well, there's a little reference for the scholars, you know? <laughs> um, but it has... Wink, wink. Yeah, wink, wink. 
And I have, um, I've kind of taken that on as my own. And um, I even once used it as a Tinder bio and uh, that. And, and did it work? No. <laughs> <laughs> Depends what you wanted it to work for. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> if it was to, to pare down the, uh, the hordes, the screaming hordes of County Durham down to venerable few that would, that would know, that would understand, that would be able to connect, or did it pare it down a little bit too much? David, I'm so uncomfortable. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Um, yes. But, um, I mean, I'm not a believer at all. Um, I was recently tagged in this, um, this lovely Instagram initiative where writers were encouraged to share a paranormal experience or something they can't explain. And, and I'm such a skeptic and an, an atheist that I... I, I don't have, I honestly don't have any story like that. That's, that's just me personally. Uh, and, I, and I'm always intrigued to hear the other people's stories. And if I can just pause you there, actually, Mark, uh, one of the questions I get asked most of all when I'm doing the ghost walk is, have you seen a ghost? Mm. And I never have. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I've never had any paranormal experience. However... I remain open to the idea that this sort of thing, it, it, it can and does happen because there's far too, it's one of those things where there's far too much evidence uh, of, of people experiencing something to then be able to dismiss it completely out of hand and say, no, it's all just some mass hallucination. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a bit like uh, someone who only sees in monochrome who misses the flashes of colour, but that doesn't mean to say the flashes of colour aren't there. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And, and David, what I'm going to do here is that I'm going to echo your point by absolutely butchering something I heard from Professor Byron Cox, and I'm going to ask you, the scientist, to explain it in a way that the people will understand. But Brian Cox... I, I will only do this if you do it in the voice. <laughs> I can't think... I'll try, I'll try. Ghosts don't exist, because thanks to the Hydrogen Collider, we can, we can scan everything in existence and there's no room for ghosts but if there was a ghost i would have surely have done a documentary about it <laughs> with apologies to both professor brian cox and indeed our audience i'll never do that again but um that yes so that's basically what he said david did, were you aware of the story did you read it when it came out at the time uh, I did not, but I have to say that in my professional opinion, Professor Brian Cox, I feel he's a little bit blinkered. And he is, he takes science almost to a religious fervor. Mm. And I think he is, I personally think that he is guilty of the same superstition that he accuses people who are religious of. Mm. If it can't be explained by science, then it can't be real. Well, that's that's a religion. That's that's a dogma. I do love the the idea of things that we we can't explain. I um, 
I know you haven't read the book, David, but um, I don't know if you saw Bird Box on Netflix, which, um, to be a book wanker... I didn't, not yet. You haven't seen no, it yet? I, I have been told. I, I... Well, I mean, this isn't so much of a spoiler to tell you this, because it explains the premise, but um, to be a book wanker, the book is in, really is so much better than the film, but I also think there were some elements <laughs> that weren't filmable, but I think Josh Malaman, when he was being interviewed, talking about writing Bird Box, he had said, um, if you try and imagine infinity, really try and imagine it, you can't. And, he, and in this Lovecraftian way, when you try and imagine it, you can almost go insane. And he said, what if Infinity was sat on the swing in your garden and you looked out the window? What would happen to you then? The idea of the unexplained is absolutely fascinating. But, but on the subject of the unexplained and somewhat religious things, um, I do have a fascination with uh, religious relics, buildings, um, even, even folklore. You know, I, I actually, I rarely, if I'm in, if I'm near one, I will often visit a church and have a look inside, and and that's not in a way where I go in as a religious person, because as I've said before, I'm an atheist, but and I'm not going in there to to sneer or anything like that. I just enjoy the history of it, and to, to me, um, I really enjoy um, reading, hearing the folklore of an area, and and certainly up in this part of the world, in northern England, uh, and County Durham and North Yorkshire. There are a lot of older churches. Uh, I was up in sort of Barnard Castle way, mm. and round there you've got a couple of 13th century abbeys just sort of lying around. Mm -hmm. Fountains Abbey just down the road from me is 12th, 13th century, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, there's, there's, I feel there's a lot more up here than there is down south. So we did promise that we would start doing recommendations on the podcast, and I guess... This episode's book recommendation is going to come early because since David and I last recorded, I have been devouring a book called A Treasury of British Folklore, which is written by Dee Dee Cheney, who I have known on Twitter for quite a long time, and her book is just absolutely fantastic. For example, one uh, delightful bit of, and I believe this is Northern English folklore, is there was such a thing as a corpse road. So when somebody died, they, their body was being taken to the church, it was considered unlucky to take it along public roads. So they actually had areas of land devoted purely for taking bodies to the churchyard, and these would become uh, corpse roads. Mm. Apparently, after, there would be some dispute as to who actually owned these corpse roads, and, and like many villages in the north of England, parish council would own this land as well. So sometimes there were records of people trying to steal a corpse road. So, you know, poor Auntie Ethel may die, and you and several people are, are carrying her... Her, her coffin to the churchyard and then all of a sudden you know old man tom has built over the corpse road and you suddenly have to go on a public road and you would then be quite distressed as to where the body goes now whether there's a story in mm. that or not i don't know watch this space the could be one in the future uh, one of the things i've uh, found doing the rip and ghost walk is this idea of the sin eater mm. and the sin eater would be uh, a generally homeless person a hermit uh, would only come into town when someone died who was unconfessed. And of course you have the last rites to make sure that the soul is completely unburdened just before death. Uh, but in some instances, if, uh, if the priest isn't able to get there or someone dies suddenly, then the sin eater is brought in. Uh, he would be found and he would be brought in and given a cup of beer and some bread and a 
coin, generally a reasonably high-value coin, would be put into the beer. The sin eater would drink the beer and eat the bread and say, with this bread and this drink, I take the sins of the departed upon myself. Bloody hell. He would then be, he would then be beaten out of the house. And, beaten? Uh, and, yes, beaten out. Jesus. As in chased out of the house with, with yeah, ray, ray, uh, blows being rained down upon him because they didn't want someone sinful in the house. Oh, God. Why are people <laughs> so, so unkind? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Especially as he's, uh, he's allowed their newly departed to, um, uh, to go to heaven unburdened. You know, this is like... Um, it's the scapegoat. It is, but this is very much like... This is, this is like the... Uh, and I've talked about it before. The uh, Cassie the Ruins by Omar James passed on to the curse to somebody else. It's like, oh, oh no, yes. Auntie Ethel died and she didn't confess. Quick, that homeless drunk... Bring him in. <laughs> we will pass the curse onto him, and then we will beat the shit out of him. And just, yep, yep. Oh much. my goodness. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, so uh, that's a little a little nugget for you oh. there, David. I was hoping for like cute folklore, like <laughs> <laughs> like if a magpie taps on your window, I, I think it means somebody is going to die before New Year's Day. Hooray! Cute. Yeah. <laughs> And like, if you don't take a coffin clockwise around a graveyard, um, that person will go to purgatory. Right. Well, one thing I do want to uh, to mention, seeing as you've given your book recommendation, I'm going to give a slightly different book recommendation um, because I have in the past been a Christian. Not anymore, but uh, one of the particular writers one of the poets that really did some amazing work and some really beautiful poems for all occasions is uh, an irish man by the name of john o'donoghue who is sadly not with us anymore but he wrote uh, a number of books and one of which is called benedictus and it is it's full of the most beautiful imagery um, that I've come across within a religious Celtic setting. And uh, one of them that I remembered is, uh, is quite a useful one for this point. Uh, it's called On Passing a Graveyard mm. by John O'Donoghue, and I thought I would just read it here, and it is a benediction for those people who have passed on. Mm. May perpetual light shine upon the faces of all who rest here. May the lives they lived unfold further in spirit. May all their past travail find ease in the kindness of clay. May the remembering earth mind every memory they brought. May the rains from the heavens fall gently upon them. May the wildflowers and grasses whisper their wishes into light. May we revere the village of presence in the stillness of this silent field. Hmm. That was beautiful. So that's uh, John O'Donoghue, and uh, the book that that came from is entitled Benedictus. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that, David. Not a problem. However, um, I used to, uh, when Charlie Brooker used to work for The Guardian, Charlie Brooker, um, a lot of you may know as being one of the, well, the, the main man behind Black Mirror, mm -hmm. he said one of his favourite things to do if he was ever you know, with someone he didn't know that well, if they ever passed a graveyard, he would say, see there, Sherlock Holmes is buried there. 
Disgraceful. Disgraceful. Yes. So, David, I think before you teased listeners by talking about season two, I was under the impression we hadn't um we hadn't said anything yet. We haven't. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is there, well, I guess um what I'm saying is, is there anything that we, we would like to say about that, perhaps? I mean, there will be more extra content coming as a thank you to everyone for season one. But mm-hmm. I think what David may have been alluding to, and I do apologize for speaking for you, David, is I think... No, no, not a problem. I think because people have been so generous, I think the question of doing season two is not so much a if, but a when. Mm-hmm, indeed. Because uh, at the time of recording... I believe we're at 94% for Kofi donations. Hooray. Thank you ever so much, everyone who has donated to Kofi. But the generosity has just been humbling. It's been absolutely mm. remarkable. And uh, to paraphrase Professor Elemental, I'm bathing in Earl Grey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really that keen. So I think it's it's a matter of when we're going to secure that. Now, this this target that we set covers um, the very base cost of season two. So we can very much put out a short season like we did season one. I think as we discussed in the Q&A, we have learned some things from season one. I think mm-hmm. putting mm-hmm. it out weekly when we were still on the tail end of production, um, I dare say, <laughs> I personally Not burnt even out. just the tail end sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, David. I'm trying to look professional. <laughs> but I think it's, you know, it's fair to say I, I burnt out uh, when we finished. And, you know, I had, a, I had like two months. I didn't write a word, mm. which some writers will be horrified to hear. It's something, it's like a muscle you have to exercise every day. But, you know, certainly there's mental health to consider as well. But, um, yeah, I think we would learn from that. But th- these are the very basic costs. So that that's literally things like keeping the website up, um, helping us pay for sound effects, um, and, and 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 indeed the music. Which you know, Nico is the uh, as we've said before, he's the Jeremy Dyson um, of this, but in which he was not. He was a member of the League of Gentlemen, but you never saw him. Yeah. So, <laughs> but the, the very basic cost of of giving you a very similar experience to what you had with season one, albeit with perhaps some fine tuning. You know, and we've received some amazing feedback from the Q and A session that we, you know, in the lead up to that Q and A session. If that generosity uh, is sustained in any shape or form, that will allow us to do the things that we said that would be nice to do, bringing on um, longer episodes, you know, more voice actors, and and perhaps even adapting work that isn't in the public realm as well uh, for those stories, where, of course, there would be royalties to pay and such. So um, just thank you from the bottom of our spooky hearts. Thank you so much. And um, watch this space. There will be some extra content and... You know, before long, a season two. Indeed, so and and for everyone that has asked about the drunk ghost stories, they will arrive. <laughs> they will. <laughs> yes, um... we'll just have to decide who is going to be the victim first and who's going to be the sitter. More <laughs> content will be coming your way, as and when. And if you have any suggestions as to non-public domain works that you would like to see adapted, or if there's any short stories that you'd like me to record and somehow get Mark to be able to put some sound effects behind, so the wackier the better, but... <laughs> nice quiet horror please thank you very much uh then please do let us know and get in touch with us through all of the usual channels 
otherwise, please do keep all of the reviews coming. Uh, it's really wonderful to get five star reviews. Um, just a hint there. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> we, we honestly, we really do value uh, the reviews because they really mm -hmm. are helping us get noticed. Yeah, it's just it's so nice if anyone takes the time to publicly share their thoughts about us. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And I really hope you've enjoyed this uh, this shorter bonus episode, which was really just a, a massive thank you from David and I. So I hope it has um, accomplished its goal. Indeed. And I'd like to finish with uh, another benediction, if I may. I think that's a good idea. Okay. So again, this is from John O'Donoghue, Echoes of Memory. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the grey window and the ghost of loss gets into you, may a flock of colours, indigo, red, green and azure blue, come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays in the curragh of thought and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you, May there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life. You've been listening to a Shadows at the Door production. Story by M.R. James. Performances by David Alt. Music by Nico Vertesi. Editing by Mark Nixon. Copyright held by Shadows at the Door Publishing. If you enjoyed this production, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you very soon. <laughs>